He is risen. God's word declares that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and I'm here to tell you that is a game changer for us, right? I mean, that's really what changes our life. The word of God declares that Jesus is risen. His disciples declared it, right? We talked about this last week. His disciples declared that he was risen. Historians outside of the church declared that Christ was risen. Not only that, but Jesus actually appeared. We read in the New Testament that he appeared after he was risen. For some 40 days, he walked the earth and he showed himself to over 500 people. It's not just the crazies that used to follow him around that thought that he was risen. He showed himself. He revealed himself to people who followed him, to people who didn't. So we have all kinds of references to this. But not only that, not only did Jesus reveal himself that way, but we have a witness in our heart of the Holy Spirit, right? His spirit lets us know that he's alive. When we accept who Christ is, there's change that takes place in our life. Now, I'm looking out here, okay? I'm looking out here, and I'm seeing a whole bunch of faces going, ah, it's Easter. That's good. That's good. You ought to let your face know how good it is. I mean, you know, God really has shown up and changed our lives. He's transformed. He's given us peace. He's given us hope. He's given us joy. Have you looked at the news lately? There's not a whole lot of joy in church, in, in, in the world around us, right? Not a whole lot of peace in the world around us. I, it was kind of a slip, but I think lots of times there's not a lot of joy in churches either. Lots of times people just go and it's their duty. They got to go put in their hour. Well, I think as God's Holy Spirit changes our life and there is a joy that we can experience. There is a peace. There is a transformation that can happen. You don't just have to come to church and go, oh, yeah, yeah. Last Sunday, we did a rundown of, the, the, of what we call Holy Week from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We talked about the money changers and all the parable teachings. We talked about Jesus sweating drops of blood. We talked about all the great expectations that took place. And then Friday, we came back to church again and we looked at the utter despair. We looked at the crucifixion. We looked at the price that was paid for us. We call it Good Friday for some reason. It was actually started out being called God's Friday is how it got there. But then we make this jump. We make the jump from all the despair on Friday right to Sunday, and we never look at Saturday. And I think there's a lot of stuff that happened on Saturday. As a matter of fact, I think we live in a Saturday kind of world, honestly. We've got all these promises from the Bible that tell us that God's going to rule and reign and that there's all these great things that are going to happen. And a lot of us have gone to church for years and you walk out of church and you feel kind of like, I didn't get any more while I was in church than I had before I went to church. As a matter of fact, maybe I even feel worse. Like there really wasn't a whole lot of hope. The day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday was actually called Holy Sunday and it was a Sabbath day. And it seems like just a transition between, well, that happened yesterday and tomorrow something else is supposed to happen. And honestly, Scripture doesn't say much about Saturday. It doesn't. Luke chapter 23 verse 54 says, it was a preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. That's it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, nobody says anything great happened on Saturday. We just kind of skip right by it and we jump. There's not a single gospel writer 
that says anything meaningful happened. Saturday was, was, you know, like just the day in between what happened yesterday and what's supposed to happen tomorrow. So you say, well, pastor, what's, what's the big deal? Why are we stuck on Saturday then? Well, because there's a lot that happened on Saturday. There's a lot that happened on Holy Saturday. If we really want to ponder the resurrection, if we want to think about it, if it were Saturday morning back then, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination, at least for the first part of my, my message this morning. If you were to, to ponder and think about it, had you gone to the tomb outside of Jerusalem at the crack of dawn on Saturday morning, you wouldn't observe too much different than what you'd seen the night before. The body of a recently crucified man, Jesus, should be on a slab inside of this tomb, bloodied and discolored, rigor mortis setting in, it would have been a hideous sight if we could have seen it, but we couldn't because there were guards watching the tomb. The tomb was actually sealed. But in heaven above and in hell below, there was something going on. At the tomb, not so much. But eternity was being changed on Saturday. Demons who thought they just killed Jesus. This is what we needed to do, get him out of the way, are beginning to realize that in fact, what they did was cosmically speaking, okay, God's the creator of all life and the punishment for sin is death. And so they're thinking they can put Jesus to death. Great, no problem. We just accomplished that. We took this problem out of the way. What they re don't realize is they did it illegally because he did not sin. Yeah, somebody's excited back there. <laughs> the Bible says we're supposed to come to him like a little children. You can get excited. about. He didn't sin, and so they took him illegally, and so what they thought was this great accomplishment, turns out they're going to get punished for it. And not only that, but all authority that had been given to Satan has been stripped away from him, and now he no longer has yeah. any authority. I'm telling you, hell got turned upside down that day. Matter of fact, the Bible says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us yes. and that the gates of hell, the very gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And you say, well, pastor, we live in kind of a world where it seems like the gates of hell are prevailing all around us. That's right. That's right. It's like Saturday, but Sunday's on its way, right? Carmen used to sing that song. It may seem like Friday night. But Sunday is on its way. Yeah, see, old people here are going like this. Yeah, they remember the vibe. They remember the vibe. We live in that Saturday kind of world. But not only that, not only that, that's not the only thing that happened. See, the other thing that happened was the Bible says that Jesus descended into the very parts of hell and he set captivity free. Well, what happened back in those days? Well, there was a divide. The Bible talks about this great divide. Sorry to do this, but left and right. Okay, so if you happen to be on the left, and if you happen to be on the right, well, there's a divide. And on one side of hell, one side of Hades was Sheol, was this place of torture. And the other side was this place of perpetual peace. There's this place that's going, it's called Abraham's bosom. And the people who died believing in a Messiah, believing in a Savior, they died. But when they went to, they descended, they didn't go into the torturous part of hell, Hades. Sorry. They went to this place called Abraham's bosom. 
where they were, they were, there, there was, if we read the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus was this poor beggar, and they both, they both died, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man went to Hades, because all he did, everything he worked for was his money. He had everything that he wanted, but he didn't extend any grace, any hope to this poor man. And so at one point, the rich man actually says, can I, can I just get a taste of water just to cool my tongue? Can I go and warn my, my brothers, tell them what this is all about? Well, Jesus actually goes down, he descends into hell, and he preaches to those righteous believers, those ones who believed in faith, they were hoping. And the Bible says that when he died and when he rose again, they came out of the ground with him. Think about that for just a minute, okay? You know that Uncle Johnny's been dead for 14 years, right? You were at his funeral, and he was a righteous man. I mean, he loved God and all that. And all of a sudden, you're sitting at the kitchen table, resurrection morning, and Uncle Johnny's outside walking around. You all are like, is that really in the Bible? <laughs> it's real. That's what happened. Not only did Jesus come back to life, not only was he resurrected, but those people, see, he turned the world upside down spiritually that day. Heaven was changed. Hell was changed. Eternity, all eternity was changed on that day. But if, if you look around on the surface of the earth, if you look around in this little city called Jerusalem, you wouldn't see all of that. You wouldn't see that going on. Matter of fact, it would have been much like our world today 2,000 years later. You know what? That happened on Friday. It's done. Kaput. Finished. Over. I'm not worried about it. Even Jesus said it from the cross. It's finished. Let's move on. Let's go on with the next thing. But life is never the same again. Life is never the same again. The crucifixion and the resurrection, after the resurrection, life is never the same. The world, eternity. I've said this before. In the Old Testament, everything that happened in the Old Testament points forward to the cross. Everything in the New Testament points backwards to the cross. Jesus Christ is the fulcrum of all eternity. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, it's all about that. If not for that, Paul says, we are the most to be pitied. We're the most to be pitied. If we're believing and that's not real, we're the most to be pitied. But again, to those people who were there in Jerusalem, I thought about this quite a bit as I was thinking about this sermon. And I thought, can you imagine what some of these characters that we read about throughout this last week, what we read for the, through the triumphal entry, what we read about on Good Friday, can you imagine what some of those characters thought? Because they didn't know. Right? They didn't know the end of the story. We're removed 2,000 years. We've got the book that tells us. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. They didn't have any of that. All they had was the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. They didn't have any of the New Testament. Imagine Saturday after Good Friday, Peter, 48 hours before, Peter would have never believed that it would have come to this. Others might deny you, Lord, but not me. Not me. I will never deny you. Even if it comes to laying down my life, I won't deny you. And I bet you, I don't know, again, a lot of, lot of surmising here. But I wonder if Peter could still hear that rooster crowing in his ear. Because the Bible says that when that happened, Jesus turned and looked at him from the cross. And he made eye contact. Can you imagine what Peter felt like on Saturday morning when he heard that rooster crow? 
Sure, I'm that great rock. I'm the rock the church is supposed to be built on, right? What a failure. What a loser. I can't believe I did that. At one point, at the end of it, Peter finally just tells the people, that's it, I'm done. I'm just going fishing. Now, you might think of that as a recreational thing. Hey, fishing's never a bad thing, but that's not what Peter was saying. You see, for Peter, that was his career. I'm done. I've had it. I'm just going back to work. I'll just bury myself in work. I've failed so bad. You see, they heard the words. They heard what Jesus said. But could you imagine somebody really coming back to life? They couldn't, his disciples couldn't even grab a hold of that. That same rooster maybe crows in Caiaphas, who was the high priest. He's in his bedroom waking up and he's thinking to himself, I finally got rid of that, that lousy instigator, that guy who kept calling him the Messiah, himself the Messiah. He's been around for three years. For a thousand days I've been trying to figure out how to get rid of that cat. And now he's finally gone. He's fin- it's finished. I'm done with him. It's finished. I'm done. He even said it from the cross himself. It's finished. Now, maybe he saw his, his priestly garb sitting over in the corner that he ripped up. And, of course, that was against the Levitical law for him to do that. But it also was a great, a great theatrical move. Maybe that's what convinced the Sanhedrin, their, their uh, Supreme Court. Maybe that's what convinced them to actually crucify, finally get rid of this Jesus And he's thinking to himself, yeah, it's finished, all right. I'm done with him. Think about Pontius Pilate. He's he's this ruler from Rome. And I just wonder how many times he washed his hands trying to get rid of the blood of an innocent man, you know, His wife told him, you you just wash your hands of this whole thing. I had a bad dream. I had a bad, bad, bad dream. You need to just wash your hands. What does Pilate do? It's like, man, over and over again, I can't get rid of that. Have you ever done something that you you just can't stop regretting it? It's like that stink is still on your hands. Like no matter how many times he washes his hands, it still seems, still, it just seems, bad, sticky, like I just can't get that off of my hands. Like I just, I just can't get it off. And then besides all of that, he gets this Sanhedrin, these, these religious rulers that come to him. And they say, well, it's kind of a good thing because this Jesus, this guy, he, he, died, he died quickly, but we want to make sure that you, you seal the tomb because we're afraid that people are going to try and rob his body. And he just, he's thinking to himself, these, these, these slaves are nuts, man. They're just crazy. What is, a, what is the matter with them? Who's going to steal? Fine, do whatever you want to do. And his wife, who's been tormented, so maybe you don't think about scriptures the way, I say it all the time, we read it too fast. His wife, who's been tormented for days with these crazy dreams, and then she gets this dream where she just runs to him almost hysterical, and she said, you've got to let this guy go. You've got to wash your hands of him. You've you got to have nothing to do with him. Well, it's Saturday, and maybe for the first time in a week, she's able to sleep in because it's finished. She's done. It's done. It's finished. It doesn't make any difference how bad it was. At least now, it's finished. 
we could talk about any number of characters. Judas Iscariot. We could talk about Herod. What about Simon of Cyrene, the guy who had to carry the cross for Jesus? Can you imagine? What was he thinking on that Saturday? What about Barabbas? Here's this criminal. He's murdered. He's guilty, and everybody knows it's guilty. He's just, he's probably on Friday just sitting in jail, right? He's a criminal. He's sitting in jail, and all of a sudden, people want Jesus. He knows nothing about what's going on. And the people so badly want to get Jesus, they say, give us the worst dude in the land. You give us Barabbas, and you take Jesus and have him crucified. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Saturday, for the first time in how many years, he wakes up, and he's not in jail. Matter of fact, Friday night, instead of worrying about what was going on at the cross, he probably went out and had a drink and partied. Like, yeah, it's finished for that dude, but it's not so finished for me. These are real-life people, folks. These are real people. They really happen. This is not just some story. We got Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. You know, we always read about Martha, and she's running around. She's so busy making sure that everybody's taken care of. You know that lady, right? She's going to have Easter. You know who she is. You're going to have Easter at her house, and she's the one who's running around making sure everybody's got, you got what you need? You got what you need? Here, let me get you some coffee. Here, let me get you. And she's the one who's always running around like, it's actually a picture of my mother-in-law. Love you. She's running around making sure that everybody's got everything that they need. And for the first time, all she can do is just sit in a chair and think to herself, he's never coming back. Like, I saw it. I can't believe what I saw. He's never coming back again. I'm not going to see him. I'm not ever going to be able to get him a glass of water again. I'm not ever going to be able to serve him again. His, her sister, Mary, who was always at Jesus' feet, and right now that's all Mary can think about. It was the last time she saw his feet nailed to the cross, disfigured, beaten, broken. Lazarus, just crazy. Just weeks ago, Lazarus was dead. And here he is, sitting there having his second cup of coffee in the morning, knowing that the man who raised him from the dead is dead. Look, folks, they didn't know the outcome of the story. And then we find this little tiny house somewhere within the walls of Jerusalem and a woman's crying. She had such high expectations for her son. When he was dedicated in the temple 33 years ago, this old preacher warned her. And he said, this child is destined for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel. He'll cause great pain. And it'll be as though a sword is piercing through your soul before it's over. And now she knows what that old preacher is talking about. because it's like there's a hot coal sitting in her soul, sitting in her belly. 
she's in absolute agony. This hurt is greater than any pain of childbirth, and all she can do is call out her son's name, Jesus. Jesus. It's not the way it's supposed to end, Jesus. She thinks to herself, tomorrow. Tomorrow's not the Sabbath, so tomorrow I'll go and I'll anoint his body again with oil with some of the other women. He's still my son. Tomorrow I'll go. And this cast of characters to me, all of them reliving those words, those last words that Jesus said, it's finished. And to all of them, it means something different. Some of them are so grateful. Pilate's grateful and Caiaphas is grateful and Annas is grateful, so grateful that it's done. Judas has recognized his own sin and his own betrayal and he's actually taken his life. There's so many people that are in this drama, if you will. They're involved in this. But is it really finished? Like It's finished. Jesus said it's finished. Well, what was finished? Peter and Caiaphas and Pilate's wife, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. What what do you think they were thinking? We live so far away from that time. We have the book in front of us. We have the historian's account. We know that Jesus will rise again. We actually know that he has risen again. And you say, well, Pastor, why, why are we making such a big deal of it? Because again, we live in the tension of this in our world today. God has promised us such amazing and great and fantastic things in his word that we can live in a world where he is a king of kings and lord of lords and he is ruler of all. And we have to do that. We have to live in that now by faith because we don't see that end yet, Right? We have to live it by faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because we're living in Saturday. Our whole earth, our whole world right now is living in Saturday. But there is this hope that Sunday's coming. There is this hope that not only is Jesus, we're we're living in what's called the, the church age, the dispensation of the church. There is coming a day, as we've read in the book of Revelation, where Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, right? Half of us believe that. All the other prophecies in one day, the day that Jesus was born, 300 prophecies were fulfilled. All the prophecies of the Old Testament about him to this point have been fulfilled. There are only a handful more that are yet to come and those are about his second coming, his return, his coming back for the church, his setting up his kingdom. If he's fulfilled everything else, I'm here to tell you, he is coming back. Sunday is on its way. We might be in Saturday now, but Sunday is on its way. And we have to live that out by faith. The writer of Hebrews says this, now faith is the confidence of what we hoped for, the assurance about what we do not see. 
This is what the ancients were commended for. Who are the ancients? They're the people who died in faith. They were actually commended for their faith. Jesus went down and preached the gospel, and they were set free from that, brought into blissful eternity. And he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what is in, what's so wait a minute, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. In other words, Jesus spoke it all into existence. He created it, and he's coming back for it. Amen. He is going to restore that thing. And this is when our faith needs to kick in. Now, the difference between, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it's a difference about, of living in the kingdom of this world where everything is about what we see, what we feel, what we taste, what we touch, what we hear. But if we, we live in that realm alone and we don't trust in the kingdom of God, we're blinded to the changes that God can make in our heart and in our life. How many of you have had changes in your life that cannot be explained by just what you see and hear and taste and touch? There's been a transformation in our heart. There's something that's different. There's a hope that I have. There's a peace that I have. It's called God's Holy Spirit. And when His Spirit, we're going to read about this in a few weeks. We'll be talking about the, the, the Holy Spirit coming to the church. There's, there's a change. You know, we, we, we deal with the struggles of this world and faith kicks in and we get to shout back, it might be finished, but it ain't done yet. It, what was finished? What was finished? The power of sin, the power of death, the power of hell. That's what was finished when Jesus said it's finished. That's what was finished. That's, he wasn't finished. His life wasn't finished. His spirit wasn't finished. His work wasn't finished. The power of sin and death, that's what was finished. It no longer has power if we believe in Christ. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal body. There is life. I love the story of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was a ruler of England, was a prime minister of England. And for some reason, he thought he was going to die a young age, at a young age. These are his own words. He thought that he would die at a young age, be unmourned and forgotten. And yet, he lived a long, fulfilling life. In his 90s, Winston Churchill figured he was going to be dead by 30. In his 90s, he planned his own funeral. It was to include a number of eulogies. It was to include a number of grand hymns from the church and portions of powerful Anglican literature. And the grand finale, the grand finale of his whole funeral was supposed to be that after the benediction, there was going to be a bugler who was instructed to play taps, right? Going to play taps. And they're supposed to be in this grand cathedral. And as that last bar of taps plays out, it's supposed to just, he, he wrote this in his notes. He wants that to just ring out. As it finally fades, as you can't hear anything else, another bugler is supposed to play Reveille. That's what happened at Winston Churchill. You know what that means? It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. That's what Reveille is about. 
That's that Saturday lull where taps is dying out. But guess what, church? It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to not, Jesus did not stay on the cross. He did not stay in the grave. He is risen. In the, John chapter 20 and verse 1. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. I think more specifically that stone had been blown away from the entrance. Uh, the way it was done, that, that stone is estimated to weigh a couple thousand pounds, and they would take the stone and they would, they would put it over here, the, the tomb entrance is down here, and they chiseled a ramp down so that when the stone was actually chiseled and set up in place, it would roll into place. And in order to get that stone out of the way, you had to roll it uphill with no handles. And this was sealed and it had guards on it. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken our Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple headed for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Peter came along behind and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen there. And there was a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw, and he believed. Something happened to John. Something happened. First of all, he outran Peter. When he finally went in, he not only saw all those words, all those words that Jesus had spoken, he realized, guess what? He's really coming back, man. He really did. He did what he said he was going to do. They still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The disciples went back to where they were staying. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb. This is Mary Magdalene, not his mother. Mary Magdalene, she stood outside the tomb and she wept. She bent over and looked into the tomb. And she saw the two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Sorry, our sound system keeps cutting out here. Sorry about that. Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this point, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Why do you think that is? 48 hours ago, she saw him beat to a bloody pulp. There was nothing left of him. That's number one. Number two, he's received a glorified body. That's going to look different than our regular body. We're going to see that because pretty soon he has to walk through walls. Again, this is a day that I'm looking forward to. I've broken way too many bones slamming up against walls. I want to be able to go through them. I'm not the only one, John Seberg. <laughs> they have taken the Lord away, and I don't know what they've done with him. At this, uh, she turned, da, 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 da. he said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is this you were looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him, and she cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means rabbi or teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen him. I've seen the Lord. Okay. Woohoo! Can you imagine? 
I mean, can you imagine, really? You got to put yourself there. I mean, she took off like greased lightning, man. I've seen him. I've seen him. I talked to him. I've seen him. I saw him. I saw him. I saw him. Who'd you see? I saw Jesus. It was him. He was really him. It was really him. I saw him. You all don't get it. You all don't. This guy was laid out flat the day before. He'd been crucified, beaten, his flesh ripped off of his bones, nothing left, unrecognizable. And he stands there and he says, Mary. And she's like, I get it. I get it. It's him. He's alive. He's alive. He is alive. She is the first evangelist. I've seen the Lord. And she told him these the things that, that he had said to her. And on that, here's the best one. On that evening of the first day, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of Jewish leaders. They're all finding out now that this Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And they're thinking that somebody is, they don't know what's going on. They've bribed the guards. They've told the guards, look, I know you're going to get punished for this, but tell everybody that you fell asleep and somebody stole the body. And none of that happened. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He came through, I can't imagine Jesus crawling in a window. I gotta get in there and see what these guys are up to. He came walking through the wall. I wonder if that noise came with it. Oh, there he was. Oh, there he went. In my mind, it's like, oh. Why do you think he said, peace be with you? Because they were freaked out. I mean, you know, I, the UPS guy came the other day. And I'm walking up the hall, going towards my office. And all of a sudden, he's there. And I'm like, oh! And I knew he was alive. <laughs> he drove a truck. Jesus was dead 48 hours before this. He was, he was dead, and now he's alive. After, after he said this, he showed him his hands. He showed him his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If anyone... If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples are telling him, can you imagine? Man, we saw him really. No, no, look, Matthew, Mark, we were there, right? We saw him. He came, he just was in, was in the room, right? And then he was, you remember what he said? And Thomas was like, I'm not going to believe I know you guys. I know you guys. Sure, Peter, yeah, you're telling me all this. You also denied him three times. I saw that. I saw that. I know, that, I know what happened. I know what happened. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in the hands and I put my finger where the nails were, I put my, my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. A week later, his disciples were together again in the house. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. You got to get that in your head, man. And then he said to Thomas, 
Can you get this? Okay, so there's, there's 12 disciples. Maybe there's 20 disciples. Maybe there's 100 followers. I don't know. Doors are locked. Thomas is finally with them. Jesus comes in the room, and he looks right at Thomas. He looks right at Thomas. Just happened to have a Thomas sitting here right around road, road two. Look at that. He doesn't turn to anybody else. He turns to Thomas. So I understand that you need to see the hand. I understand you need to see the hole in my hand. Here, I want to show you this. Go ahead, put your finger in that. What about, what about this hole in my side? I understand that you want to see that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? He dealt right with the need that they had. Right with that need. Said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hand? Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus chides him just a little bit. He said, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. That's you all. Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Blessed are you. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why do we have the word? Why does it tell us these stories? That we might have life. You see, we live in a Saturday world, but we can experience Sunday through faith on a regular basis. We reach out for that Sunday experience of life, Jesus said, and life more abundantly. Yes. Amen? We don't just have to live in just a get-by kind of world. We can walk in life, and that abundance of life means that we have so much life that we have some to give away to others. You say, well, pastor, how do I give that away to others? I don't know. Somebody needs prayer, what do you do? Pray for them. Somebody needs encouraging, how about you encourage them? Somebody needs equipping, they need to learn how to do something a little, how about you equip them? We can do that, Amen? I want us to, I want, I'm going to close in prayer because I'm over already, all right? When you read through these accounts, read through them as accounts, take time to think a little bit through what really took place because you and I have that life of Christ within us and we have enough to be dispensing to people around us on a regular basis, Amen. There's a great day coming because Jesus is coming back. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness, for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for your resurrection. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. He came to pay the price so that we didn't have to because we couldn't. There's none of us that's righteous enough to pay the price. It only comes through your son, Jesus Christ. That's the only place we get our hope, our life, our peace, our joy. It all comes in you, by you, through you, and from you. So we thank you for it. We thank you that we can live in this. We can live in Sunday even though our world is stuck in a Saturday kind of a deal. We're already by faith anticipating that you are going to do great and mighty things among us and through us and with us and around us and we get to participate in your kingdom here 
on earth. Your word says, I kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to walk that out right now, today, here in Detroit Lakes, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Resurrection Sunday. Celebrate with family and friends.